What's up, everybody? This is the Betrayed, the Addicted, and the Expert. My name is Brandon, and I am the Expert. And I'm Ashlyn, and I was the Betrayed. And I'm Kobe, the Recovering Addict. What you're gonna get is three unique perspectives on recovery and tools for hope and healing. Hello, hello. All right, we're going to start off with a fan shout out, which you guys, these are coming from our Facebook page, our iTunes account, where you can go and leave a written review, which we will love and appreciate. And so here's this one. And it says, how is this even possible to have all three views in one place about an extensive range of topics relating to addiction? The entire world needs to know you need more followers. Thanks from Down Under. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you from Down Under. I used to spend a lot of time actually for work in Australia, like an amazing country with like, it's like terribly diverse and I just love that place. I'd love to go there. Never been there. Yeah, we need a... It's we need phenomenal. something there, Get right? us more followers down under, and we'll go do a conference yeah. there or something. We love it. So, um, okay. So we are uh, – the goal of today's episode is to just validate and normalize and empathize with some of the feelings that, that you've felt. On so, both sides, um, betrayed and addicted. Both for the betrayed, both for the addicted. And there's common themes that we hear – um, in, in our work, uh, you know, coaching people, doing therapy with people, that over and over again, some very similar things happen where you feel similar things as other people. But the thing about it is with addiction and betrayal is you often feel so alone in what you're feeling. So right. you don't know that someone else feels the same way until you actually tell someone. <laughs> tell somebody. And, you, and one common thing that you feel is I don't want to tell ah, anybody. You keep right? a secret. Yeah. So we're going to start with the betrayed and just talk about some common things that, that you feel after betrayal when, you, when you're married to a sex addict and just, just like what happens. So Ashlyn, do you want to start just some, some common things that, that you felt and you've, you've seen with the women that you work with? Um, well, I think everyone comes in extremely nervous to share their story, one, mm-hmm. because I remember the first time I shared my story out loud, it was like, oh my gosh, like this is my life. And I had only just thought about it mm-hmm. and never voiced it. Um, so that's the scariest part for me. Um, I felt really crazy and all the women who I get to help come into it feeling the same. Yeah. Like, oh, you, this is normal. Okay. So you come in <laughs> feeling crazy and scared to, sh- to sh- open up and share your story. Totally. Common. Um, now, now there's, I think there's a couple things underneath that as to why you're scared to, to share your story. One, I think, is the, the fear of uh, outing him and somehow you're breaking his trust because you're opening up and you're getting support and you're sharing your story. That's a common reason why women don't want to share it and was open up. Also, it was absolutely that, but it was also the judgment on me. Like, why are you with him? Yeah. Okay. So then the the next thing is the shame is what's wrong with you. Why are you still with him? Why would, you know, so, so you want to hide that you want to hide your story and not tell people what's going on in your life because they might judge you. Totally. Right. Um, so, and and then there's the, the other shame of, uh, just, just, this isn't supposed to happen to me in my life. And now I'm telling somebody about what's happening to me in my life. 
and I feel a ton of shame about this. Right. Like this, it sh- this should not be happening to my marriage. Um, it, it, you feel shame when you've been d- betrayed of like, oh my gosh, like, uh, what, uh, what's wrong with me? Yeah, and all my neighbors, everyone else has it figured out, and it must just be us. Everyone else has the white picket fence, perfect marriage, happy kids, and it's just you with this horrible thing that you're going through in your life, right? That's absolutely what I felt like. Yeah. Which is actually not the case no. at all. No, especially right? as we become more open. We hear a lot more people who may not tell the world their story come and tell us. And it's just like, oh, oh, I would have never guessed. Never guessed. Your neighbor next door is going through something and can probably relate in some way to your struggle and your strife, right? And uh, But the shame says, no, 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 no. Just put, a, put on the happy face. So that's a common thing, right? Yeah. Um, Another reason it's scary to just talk about it, and one reason you're caught in fear, is once you start to bring it out into the light, then you have to face the painful realities of it. Um, And if you can stay kind of in a state of denial or isolation and in it and not be that open about it, then you're not facing it as much. Right. I actually had two girls this week tell me, this is too hard. Like, uh, this, it is painfully, like, physically painful in my chest to actually start doing this and as hard as that is to be so uncomfortable and in pain physically it is part of the process to get through anything in life is you have to walk through it so I just did this this uh, women's group and it was an awesome group and we were talking about withdrawals from alcohol in the group and I was saying, it doesn't make sense. Like, you get off something that's bad for you, and you get extremely sick. Um, but, and I was, I was relating it back to what you just said, Ashlyn. In order for an alcoholic to get better, to get healthy, they have to go through this horrible, you know, tremors and headaches and even seizures sometimes um, in order to get healthy. And... It relates to the betrayed some of like, you know, this this horrible thing has happened in your life. You you never wanted it, um, but now it's there in front of you to to face and deal with. And in order to get healthy, you're going to have to go through that grieving process, feel that pain, so that you can move forward. Right? Sometimes it's easier to stay stuck in. I don't want uh, this. Is too hard. I don't want to do this. Right. And I, I just want to validate and really empathize with. Um, with you if you've been betrayed and that it is hard and it's it's not fair and um, it's you know you not wanting to deal with this pain or face it is okay like that's normal so that's a, a common thing so I, I would say on that too just as the person who struggled with addiction and who caused a lot of pain is not just in addition to what you said if, if you're the betrayed listening to this, it's not your fault. Right. And, and I think that's an important piece for you to hear from, from the one who struggled with addiction. It's not on you. Right. It's not your fault. Although you probably, to some degree, feel like it is. Well, right? And that's and, a common thing to feel. And the part that you guys don't realize is that Kobe, in a lot of years of our marriage 
did that whole gaslighting thing where it turn of the tables it, it and was and my throw fault. it back on you right yeah. a lot of things were my fault and so to see and hear Kobe say things like that he is absolutely sincere and genuine but it is a different Kobe than the man I married right I needed to be yes. I really needed to change that's for sure so what are some other things that that the betrayed goes through Ashton and feels very alone mm-hmm. um I don't Nobody understands. Yeah, no like, one can understand the pain, or it's not as bad. I felt that it was my story wasn't as bad as some people that I'd heard, and so I didn't deserve to to go to group. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. um, so so you know, so then again, you're feeling judged, right? Yeah. Um, but you go to family parties and or or to church or whatever, and people just don't understand um, what you're really going through and the pain of it all and so so you feel I think you feel very alone you also feel very misunderstood yes I actually would hear a lot I think almost every Sunday we'd go to church they would say people would say your family is so cute and so perfect and it would make me cringe like one no one is perfect and even if our life is together um don't say that to people right (laughs) because it's so much pressure that it's like no and people would tell me how great Kobe was and how much they loved him. And it would it was super confusing to me because I thought, am I crazy? Like, is he really that great and I am just making this stuff up? You know, maybe I really am the crazy person. Um, so that leads to another big one that I see all the time is the betrayed comes in completely confused and totally feeling crazy. Yeah. Like not knowing what her truth is um because she she's felt it in her gut she's her intuition has spoken to her but then it's just been railroaded and twisted and manipulated and and totally changed on her over because the addict wants her to question that intuition the the more he can knock her off of 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 her rocker there and not have her be firm in her truths and who she is the more confused she is, the better for the addiction to live on in the, in the relationship. And so, um, yeah, common thing to feel is, is very unsure. Uh, this, this group I was running, we were talking about how, how some of them just lack confidence in, in themselves and in their truths. And, it, and it's, a lot of it is, is because of the relationships that they've been in. So. I'll say I, on that note, sorry, Ash, but just to, just to let you know, like I totally engage in that behavior. Like whatever I could do to, to, and I wasn't, I wasn't consciously thinking exactly what you just said, but, but my, it was like in those heated moments, it was like just thoughts of gaslighting, of turning the tables of, it was really just a blaming, like my intensity of blame just increased in those moments Mm -hmm. to the point where, what else are you going to believe? Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, that was that was I trying to break you down and destroy this your soul no I wasn't consciously thinking that but that's exactly what I was doing yeah Yeah. and I feel like in the beginnings of recovery when I'm helping women in groups a lot of them come and they don't they were just like me they don't know how to trust their gut anymore because that confusion has made it so that you're you don't even know what you're what the spike narrative is compared to what your gut feeling and what you, the spirit, like, I feel like it took me a long time to really figure out who I am any, again. Like, 
who are these these feelings coming from? Because I don't even know what's up from down. I think I I, I think we should do a, a whole episode on this. But you know, a woman who starts to to kind of turn turn the tide on that goes from you know to become empowered doesn't mean to to rage out in control, right? It doesn't mean okay. Like, I'm tired of being manipulated. I'm tired of being... So now I'm just going to, like, have these really rigid controlling boundaries and rage out and control. To become empowered as, as, a, as a woman in, in recovery from betrayal trauma is a woman who's centered in, in who she is and trusts her gut and knows what her intuition is saying and has solid support systems around her that, that support her and buoy her up. Right, so that so that when she does come to those questioning times, uh, she's not confused. Um, she can be um, confident and grounded in in herself. So, amen. <laughs> um, here's another common one I see with the betrayed, and it's this this feeling of desperation and feeling of uh, it, it's it's vulnerability, but it's it's not healthy vulnerability. It's it's feeling of out of controlness. Yes. Like there's this thing in my life that's going to hurt me and there's nothing I can do about it. And uh, I don't know what to do. I want to control this thing or I need to surrender and let go. But where's this middle ground between like being okay within myself but still being hurt by what the addict's doing? And it's a really kind of fine line and a hard place to find recovery there um, because the fact of the matter is is you can't control his addiction and that you are vulnerable to to some things that he may or may not do that will affect you right and that's not codependency so but but that feeling of fear around that is common if if you're feeling that as the betrayed person but there are ways to work with that and we can talk about that on our patreon episode so all right any others ashlyn um, the hopelessness. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't think we talked about that. And and the idea that one, it's always been this way in our relationship. So how are we ever going to get help and make a change? Kobe and I specifically had been in with three different therapists within the fourteen years of marriage. Um, one we were with for a year and a half, and we went every week. And so it's not that we weren't even trying; it's that we just weren't in the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were at a general therapist who, who knew our issues, but really didn't know how to help us in, in a way that helped the heal healing of it. So, um, I felt very much hopeless, like, okay, we're spending money, we're spending time and we're spinning in circles. Spinning it's not your wheels getting any better. And feeling miserable yeah. and stuck and, and hopeless. Right. Yeah. So when um, we finally did find the right place and someone like you, Brandon, you are not our therapist, Mm -hmm. but you are a great therapist like the one we went to, Amy. And it's like the the light switch flipped for both of us. It was scary. It was vulnerable. It was um, validating to be able to find some hope, find like, okay, that people have done this before us and they've had success. Whether they stayed together or not, they found healing. And that was the, our goal. I think that hopeless feeling is every, everybody hits it to some degree. And, you know, if you're stuck there and you've been stuck there a while, um, then you got to change your inputs. Um, do something different. 
because what you're what you're doing is creating this hopelessness over and over again. Um, but it's normal to to feel that hopelessness at times. And you know, even if the process of recovery is moving forward, it's a it's a process and it's a long road. And um, you're going to have your your peaks and your valleys. And when when you go down, like you're going to feel hopeless at times. But as you work recovery, what you, you'll you'll stay out of that. Um, more than you're in it and 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 you work through it faster um and so you won't be wallowing in that hopelessness for as long right and i I think you bring up a good point of recovery that you're still going to fall and have those those moments of despair and hopelessness but you gain the skill set yes that is where the power comes to be empowered and move forward and say okay well we're going to learn from this and, you know, it's one more little tool in our tool belt. Yes. Well, my thought on this is just observing you starting Specialized Help. I mean, I observed us, obviously, going to this therapist, this general therapist. And, and a mile from our therapist, from this therapist's office, was um, like a fast food restaurant. And I would be just fuming, angry, mad, just fuming with fury from the therapist's office to this sonic drive through <laughs> And I knew that every time I hit the sonic drive through I could just like like exhale and just like let it go. But I would leave so, so angry. So angry. Mm. Uh because the therapist would work me over and, and I would feel like the victim. And and again that was just that was just because of our circumstances there, right? It was just general therapy, not specialized therapy. We weren't addressing the issues head on. I wasn't getting any more skilled. But in contrast, like I would observe you, Ashlyn, like coming away from every group with just eyes wide open because of the education because of what you were learning but but also because of how you were growing and I saw hope like almost immediately like literally almost immediately from you and that hope that I and and that hope that you could that, that you were exhibiting that I could see on you was contagious for me and that gave me hope that there really is a legit chance that um, that we could heal and stay together, and that had huge impact on us as a couple. But it was incredible how ready you were, but how much you received it, and the impact that it had. The the uh, so I've run like weekend intensives, and I've run what we call foundations groups, which are the first like psychoeducational groups that somebody comes to that's ever done therapy, like for the first time. And those groups are full of good content and things like that. But, you know, there's hours worth of content that we go over. And I doubt that the people who who have gone to my groups have retained much of what I taught them, just because we don't retain much when we sit in classes, right? Um, But those groups were really important because education in some way provides some hope. Like if you get some good information that you know is true, it provides hope. That's why people listen to this podcast is that you get educated and you realize there's hope there. The other thing that provides hope is um, a good example of recovery. So in all my groups, I would bring in couples like you guys um, who would talk about their healing process. So that woman who's sitting there hopeless, feeling crazy, feeling alone, and if if, if the woman who who comes in to speak is saying, look, I felt crazy. I felt hopeless and I felt alone, but she's smiling and there's peace about her. It's like, Oh my gosh, like she's been where I'm at. 
and I can get to where she's at, there's hope here, right? right? And now I'm learning some good things. I can move forward. There's hope here, right? Yes. So can I add one more? I think that sometimes women feel or the betrayed um, is that it's not going to work for me. Like my spouse isn't doing the work. And so the hope doesn't come the same. Yes. Right. I'm too different or, um, we're not moving fast enough. The comparison comes into it and it can shift and throw all that off. There's comparison. There's uniqueness. Like nobody understands like what I'm actually dealing with here. Right. Um, Which is normal. (laughs) Totally normal to feel these things. Right. Um, but if you're there, the fact of the matter is, is you can work through them, that you can move forward no matter where you're at. So let's shift now to um, common things that the addict experiences and feels. Um, so, Kobe, take it away. Um, there's a number of them. I, I will say um, one of the big pervasive um, kind of like under like recurring um, undertoes of thought was that I am a liar and I'm living a double life. Mm. Like that was a thought process that I never really recognized, but I felt it. I never, ever said it out loud. <laughs> I would never say that out loud, but I knew that I was living a double life. You know, you're compartmentalizing your life. Yes. You know, you're a poser, you're a faker, you're a liar. Right. Yeah. And, and the truth is in a lot of ways you are mm-hmm. right. So because you're lying like that and you're posing and you're doing those things, those shame messages start to come in. And what do those shame messages say, Kobe? Oh, my gosh. They were, I'm not, I'm not good enough. If people knew the truth, they would reject you. They wouldn't want to be around you. Nobody will love me as Nobody I am. Nobody will love me or accept me in, in any way. Or a big one was, I can't be forgiven. I, I'm unforgivable. Yep. By, yeah. by Ashlyn. Or by God. Yep. I'm disgusting. I'm bad. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, talk about... Too far gone. Lost cause. Lost cause. Too far... It's hopeless. Yeah. Um, it, your soul, where it's going, is hopeless, yeah. right? You're in this compartmentalized state of stuckness, and it just feeds and fuels that shame. Yeah. I mean, you're describing hell, Kobe. Oh, for sure. A lot for of sure. Ways. And, and that's... I think that, that also brings the duality, that, you know, the man divided really as far as addiction is concerned and I know that it's not specific to men but but the duality of it is I would have really amazing moments of connection with Ashlyn and I would I would be at church and I would feel really connected to God or I'd have a really good experience with like my family and so I would feel these up these these um these upswells if you will of of heaven kind of like permeate me and they would oftentimes immediately evoke emotion and tears, mm-hmm. almost like as a as like a spiritual release of some sense of like um, of of the of the emotional weight that I would carry, right? But um, and and those are oftentimes though those are the ebbs and flows yeah. of addiction because it wouldn't be long until I would fall back into addictive behavior again. But on the but there would be this this um, preoccupation of relapse of addiction and then following a relapse would be this hangover that um, would bring different emotions to it. Right. So, so I would be, I would be in big time blame and victim mode leading to a relapse. I would be in big time entitlement. I'm entitled to this because 
Ashland's this or this or this. This is all like complete rubbish. Right. But this, these were the thoughts that I would that I would have that would lead to relapse. And and then post relapse, I would really get angry, and I would be self loathing, and I would want to either go to sleep, right, um, or I would just lose myself in the busyness of work. Get, just, I would be crusty and I'd be angry and I would be self loathing in a huge way. Mm-hmm. And that had that had effect, I know, on a relationship, actually. And I don't know if you can think back and identify those moments, but I was totally where I'd be lost in my own shame narrative. I'd be lost in my head. And um, just super self-deprecating. Right. And um, that, was, that was the cycle that I would live in. Which yep. I have to say, when, when I started to hear your shame narrative mm-hmm. that was extensive like that... Uh-huh. I was kind of shocked because he came off as this other person. One, he was very confident. People loved him. But also that everything had been my fault. So I didn't feel he felt any remorse. I didn't know what was mentally going through his head ever because we never talked hard stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it was this huge eye-opening experience for me to really see what you were feeling Mm -hmm. all those years. Yeah. I, so, I never said those things. But what I just said, I never said out loud. Right. I had no, no idea that I was actually thinking those things, but I would manifest them in my behavior and the way that I would interact with certainly you. So, yeah. so uh, I've never met an addict who doesn't have some some level of of shame, obviously, around his compartmentalization and his double life, and it's just the cycle that that feeds and fuels the addiction. Um, but Oh, what was I going to say? So that shame feeds and fuels the addiction, but there's this confusion of like one thing that I see with the addicts I work with, they hate their addiction. Mm-hmm. It's causing them this this hell, right? But they also love their addiction, and it's they don't want to get rid of it. They're scared to death Crazy, to, to be right? done with it, right? Yeah. Like uh, to to think that I can never do that again, or, or I'm going to wipe that out of my life. Yikes, I, I don't know how to cope, right? And so there's this, like, kind of love-hate thing. A lot, of, a lot of addicts, unless you start digging a little bit, they won't admit that, yes, I love my addiction. Totally. Right? But when you start digging and you start outlining everything that addiction's done for you, it's like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't want to just get rid of it. That was exactly me, and I think we kind of refer to it as my blanket um, for a lot. Like, I mean, in fact, we, <laughs> I got a blanket from Lucy, my daughter, who's 10 now, two years ago. Um, at Christmas time, because I told the story that my mom, when I was like five, threw my blanket away. And in our house, my, our girls at eight and ten still have their blankets, and it's a huge source of comfort for them, right? And so my girls were just like, "Landlord, you like, don't throw away the blanket!" <laughs> oh my gosh! And so Lucy's like, "We gotta get dad a blanket." But but my point in saying that is is um, my addiction was my blanket, and when yeah. I was on another continent. When I was um, jet lagged, when I was lonely, when I was alone, when I felt isolated, and when I was in that narrative in my head of self-loathing, I'm not good enough. I'm not. I'm, I'm never going to be forgiven. You know, if people knew the truth. The only thing that could provide comfort was the addiction. So the it thing was that this, hurt you. Yeah, the, exactly the thing that it was just monstrous in the way that it would it would eat my lunch. But it was also so predictable. But it absolutely provided the, the, the comfort I needed to get out of those really dark 
moments. And that what that that adds to the complexity of 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 healing is to realize and the, and, and identify it for exactly what it is. Right. Which is a source of comfort as twisted as that sounds, and it is twisted. But as soon as I was able to see it for that, it was like my eye, like that. <laughs> my eyes were really, really opened to what was actually going on, and that actually made it easier to consciously, once I accepted it, to consciously let go of it or be in the process. You have to of grieve go. the loss of your addiction, and Ooh, he yeah. physically did in our backyard with his sponsor. Yeah. cried and sobbed. I was really, really afraid of what life would be like. I was really afraid of what sex would be like. I was really afraid if I would have connection. I was really afraid of being at work and, and living without this. Where was I going to get this comfort? I remember resisting this, this hour-long phone conversation with my sponsor. The first 30 minutes was, was resistance. Something happened in minute 31. Right. And then I started sobbing. And I sobbed for another 30 minutes. He's a good sponsor to listen to you. Yeah, he was total <laughs> rubbish. But, it, but, but, but he recognized it for what it was, which was the grieving, like the full acceptance of what recovery would really mean and the grieving, the, the, the loss in a very emotional way of the addiction. This is not going to be my life anymore. Moreover, I accepted what it actually did to me. And I guess it's the pain and the betrayal. And that sounds super weird for the addict to say that addiction was also the source of betrayal for me. Right. Meaning it was a false comfort. It was a false um, means of, of, of being there for me. Yeah. I accepted that. It, it was tricked like, you. Oh, and yeah. And yeah. Then, the, then I was like pissed afterwards because it was like, that's right. what it was? Are you serious? I felt totally duped. Right. Right? Right. But I had been duped since I was a kid. Right. All right. I'm going to give another one, okay. which I think uh, when I say it, if you are experiencing this and you're in it right now, then you won't even recognize it. Uh, so it won't ring true to you. But ho- however, the people around you, it'll ring true to them. So um, oftentimes addiction um, looks very similar to narcissism. So uh, the pride, the levels of pride. And, and just give us a quick definition so in ner- terms of, of narcissism. So just a, a quick definition is when somebody is very self-consumed and very concerned about how they look. And, and so they're, they're not self-reflective at all. Um, yeah, that's actually totally how I was. <laughs> so, and so they, they come across prideful, mm-hmm. um, angry, blamey. And, and all this is, is their defensiveness from getting down to those faulty core beliefs that we talked about. Yeah. But something that, that's common to feel when you're addicted is a sense of pride and entitlement and, and a, 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 an overwhelming sense of victim to other people. And, and, and you're, you have nothing wrong with you. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is if you're there, then you're probably stuck in a pretty bad place in the addiction. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard to get out of it. You're, you're going to need a nice dose of humble pie in order to face that you're feeling those things and get out of it. And that's a, that's a reality. I mean, it, it took Ashlyn saying, yeah, we're going we're gonna to start a separation. I don't know how long it's going to be, and I don't know if I'm going to stay with you. And that's when I knew the wheels were coming off. Right. It was like, oh, my gosh. Like, right. I, everything in my life that I thought I was in control of, I realized very quickly I had no control of any of it. Yeah. I mean... I've sat in therapy sessions with couples and like she is the sweetest, kindest, loving person, right? Most loving person. And he's sitting there just berating her for how horrible she is. And, and you know, if she, if she gave him more sex and if she were this way, if she were that way. And like, she's just trying to be kind and nice to his 
you know, his blame and his victim and his narcissism. And all he is putting off is defensiveness Mm -hmm. from this really scary um, core belief that he has. Um, And and that pride can really, really kind of lock him in for for a while. I I think I learned that at a very, very, very young, young age to be, you know, so manipulative Um, because I would never, if you had, if you had explained that to me, Brandon, like that those are the methods that I would use with Ashlyn. I've been like, oh, you're talking about some other guy because there's no way I would do anything like that. Yeah, it's because she's so freaking difficult. He That's actually, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, <laughs> no. when we started <laughs> actual group therapy, um, men's and women's groups, he, I remember him coming home and saying, like, I'm not as bad as some of these guys. Like, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Which, which is kind of sending a message to you right. of like, hey, get over See, this. it's really not that bad. And I had the narrative of we really, it's our story isn't that hard. Like, I shouldn't feel this way. Right. Because he's telling me, and I believe, it really isn't this bad. That's a great little gaslight. So oh, don't yeah. don't use it, guys. Yeah, for um, sure. <laughs> don't use it. Do now not, I let your secret out. Do not use it for me. No yeah. For me. Yeah, that one's, a, that one's a very real one. And, and I'll say that another really good one. Um, was I, I felt misunderstood and judged. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And not only was I ju- I didn't realize I was judging myself, and I totally was judging myself. Right. But I would, when, when okay, so it's like this. When, when an addict, when I would feel so much self-loathing, and I would judge myself, and I would be like, okay, the whole story of like Jesus saying, you must forgive 70 times 7, like factor that whole equation out, and, and then put me, you know, about 10 decimal places beyond that. And and that's where that's where I felt right. And um, great story didn't fit you. <laughs> yeah, that I, I just I would never I would be able to forgive everybody else on this green earth except myself. So when I was judged by Ashlyn, when Ashlyn was in betrayal trauma, and she she was feeling all these emotions naturally, so right because she was in betrayal trauma, I would feel this 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 distinct and so painful judgment. Because uh, I didn't realize I was already judging myself, and then I was receiving the judgment from Ashlyn, and that's really where those dark, deep places of hopelessness really existed for me. And and what's more is is as and to add it to the complexity of that being judged by my partner um, when I was already judging myself, and, and justifiably so. I want to be really clear, okay? Um, when I had moments of sobriety. I was really trying hard to, and I was white knuckling, right? And I was really trying hard, and Ashton would still feel moments of betrayal trauma, and she would, she would, I would feel like I was being judged, and I was super hypersensitive to that. I would react probably in a very angry way, yeah, because I'm like, I'm. This is what I'm looking back. I'm thinking, but I'm not realizing I'm saying this is, I'm judging myself more than anybody else, and when I'm being quote unquote good, you're still going to judge me, and it's like forget this and forget you and I'm angry and I'm mad and, and that's the on-ramp to victim mode which led to another relapse uh, yet another I, I like the way you put that the on-ramp to, to victimhood oh dude it was, because, yeah, was totally afraid. But here's the, here's the truth though is the addict oftentimes is misunderstood and but but then he takes that and it fuels his shame even more, mm-hmm. his defensiveness even more, totally. and then jumps on that on-ramp, right, to victimhood. The, or, or the despair. Yeah. Or the it's despair. So, it's yeah. just so bad because, you know, right. I judge myself. My wife's judging me too. What's the point? Effort. What, what, what does it matter? 
Yeah. But most of that misunderstanding is within your own relationship, right? Like ours showed up in that way, but also I felt very misunderstood in the public eye. Like I came off as the beast. I was the mean yes, one. Yes, that's and I, true. And I was I was very clear in painting that picture. Certainly among my family. Yeah, yeah. But but right? I, I think I think yeah, it's in within their own, own relationship, but it's with it's in general. It's, I mean, if I went out and I said, "Hey, I got a lot of friends who are sex addicts," and I just announced that to the world, um, a lot of people would think that's weird. Like, what's wrong with you? Why would you hang out with those perverted, disgusting, horrible people? In my mind, that I don't that that is not what I think of when I think of sex addict. Mm-hmm. I think of some of the best, most wonderful sons of God that I've ever met in my entire mm-hmm. life who have struggled and made mistakes and, um, and, and, and been stuck in hopelessness and shame and things like that. But, um, but, but there is a misunderstanding of... Uh, there's a misunderstanding of the betrayed out in public, totally. Sure. There's a misunderstanding of the, the addict as well. But, but, but with that misunderstanding... So a man in recovery would would take wouldn't let that wouldn't wouldn't take it personally for sure. Uh, a man who's struggling with his shame still would jump in that defensive role, yep. play the victim, feel stuck, feel like the world's against him, and uh, continue to relapse. Yeah. So that's a that's a big one. Recovery, true recovery, not sobriety, but true recovery facilitates the reclamation of self worth, and the reclamation of self worth, in my opinion, precedes forgiveness of self and acceptance of God's ultimate forgiveness of us. If you're forgiving yourself, if you have that self-worth, then people can misunderstand you and that's and okay. And it's totally okay. Yeah. And, th- and that's happened plenty of times here in this space. You know actually. what's cool though? We went to my 20-year reunion last weekend and I was shocked how many people said, I love what you guys are doing and I love that your husband owns his oh, stuff. Oh really? That's awesome. And I'm like, you get it. Like all, Many of them had been in their own recovery from different addictions but they got it right that's awesome and i thought that's it was really awesome. cool yeah. made me proud i'd say the last one on this this list that we'll touch on and we can wrap up is um ultimately i think i just became so so physically emotionally mentally and spiritually exhausted yeah i was just done and that that ex- there's there's no way to measure that there <laughs> there's like no way to measure the depth of of the exhaustion right and it's, it's like this cumulative effect of years and years and years of carrying it prior to marriage and then certainly the compounded effect in marriage and that was one of the big reasons why i sought specialized help because i was like so exhausted i knew for sure if I were to die, I'm totally screwed. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's totally screwed. But but in, in that were equal parts exhaustion from uh, living the double life. I was so tired. I was so tired. Runs you and, ragged. Yeah, and I yeah. just I wanted I wanted relief. Right. I wanted a, a, a different yoke. Right. I just want to say to kind of wrap up that all of this stuff. If you're feeling it, you're not alone. And um, the the beauty of it is you don't have to stay there, and you can move forward. And and yeah, the you know from from the worst things comes the best things. And these dark places that you've been, both in betrayal and addiction, um, you can find the lightest places. Um, you can find more hope and peace than you've ever felt in your life. 
Um, it's just a matter of staying staying open to 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 new things, uh, work really hard, and open up and be vulnerable with other people, and and you'll be fine. You'll move forward. So, amen. There's hope, <laughs> and I know there's probably some of you who are, you know, working in your yard who are listening to this, and there's some people who are driving to and from work, and are just thinking, is that really possible for me? Like I, I appreciate hearing these stories, but is it really possible for me? And we say this all the time. I struggled with this for 31 years and have found healing and, and the corresponding peace that comes from healing. That is not ours. That is for every person. And so it's, it's possible It's not just to a Kobe heal. thing. No. Nope. no. It's possible for you to heal. And I will say to those who are dealing with betrayal that it is possible for you to see it, it's not always going to work out this way okay because I know that all relationships don't work out but it's it um, it's possible for you to heal from what you've experienced and it's possible for you to um, to look at your partner and see the potential that you first recognized when you were married and it's possible for you to see that come to fruition and it takes an extraordinary amount of work. And um, so, so it is possible, but it's also possible for you to heal from the hurts that you have received, from the trauma, from the betrayal that you've received. And um, I've seen it in Ashland, and it's beautiful. It's so beautiful, but it's also so possible. Right. Okay, one last thing. Um, we are doing our Q&A on Patreon today, and we got some really uh, complicated, cool, interesting questions that we're going to answer. So... If you're not on our Patreon, um, as, as a patron of ours, go over to patreon.com, find us, and sign up, and uh, we'll see you over there. Yep. Thanks, Bye, guys. guys. See you guys. Here.